awesome. Thanks, Jen. How are you guys? You guys doing well? Kinda, marginally? Really? Okay, for the four of you who are doing great, awesome. Everyone else, happy Mother's Day. Um, come on, you gotta do better than that. No, it's okay. Yeah, like, at least act like you're having a good time. All right, now, here's what, here's one thing I wanted to actually uh, say, and, and I actually am being sincere here, unlike most of the time in my life where it's a little bit of question. Um, guys, happy Mother's Day. Um, I actually love this day for a number of reasons, because I think this day actually reflects the complexities of life in this world. And this is not gonna be like a Mother's Day sermon type of a thing, but I do wanna just take a moment and, and say Happy Mother's Day, and like I said, acknowledge the complexities of the day, because I think that is a reflection into the broader areas of life. Here's what I mean by that. This day is a day of incredible rejoicing, but also incredible lamenting. Like I am incredibly thankful and can rejoice um, for my wife, who's an amazing mom to our kids. But I also am, I can lament and I'm sad for the loss of my mom who went to be with Jesus a number of years ago. You know, and, and it's both of those things, right? Um, and it's, I can, I can be overwhelmed with incredible gratitude and thankfulness for the moms that I see um, at Cornerstone Church, those who are not biologically moms to me, but have assumed a role of like spiritual mom, and I'm super thankful for that. But then there's also just this incredible, overwhelming, unimaginable grief as I consider some of the loss and some of the fact that, you know what, I have friends who's, they've lost children, and today's a day that's just incredibly complex. And so what I wanted to do is just take a second and go, if we could learn one simple thing just on the front end of this, if we can learn just one simple thing, and that's this, can we learn and just practice this for a second, just to sit in the seat of another. So if you are in a seat right now, and like, not you're like literally sitting, but, but if you're in a position where you are incredibly thankful and experiencing this great joy of motherhood, and today is a day of great rejoicing, can you just pause for a second and go, man, there are people who are suffering today, and today is a day of lament. And can you just pause for a second and consider that? Or on the flip side, if you are in a position of experiencing grief today, can you just sit for a second and think, man, there are people who are experiencing incredible joy today. And can we just sit in that tension for a minute and rejoice or grieve and lament for the sake of others? And what a beautiful thing that is. Can we just do that for a second? Because guys, if we learn how to actually consider the other, guys, we are on a, on a very good trajectory to actually embodying Jesus into a very fractured world around us. If we can just pause for long enough to go, man, look at this, and... And, and just see from, from other voices and other perspectives. I think it's a good thing. But anyways, happy Mother's Day. What a cool thing. We'll come back to that. I was just sharing with you guys a, a few seconds ago. Uh, my mom passed away a number of years ago. She went to go with, be with Jesus. And one of the things that was absolutely fascinating um, is my mom was a planner. She was absolutely prepared. And so... She was diagnosed with cancer. She was on a terminal track, and 
she and my dad had time to plan. My dad was probably along for the ride in some way or another because my mom was, she was planned and prepared. And so when she finally passed away, um, before she, she went to be with Jesus, um, she handed me a notebook and said, hey, here's funeral arrangements, here's this, here's this, here's the doctor, here's bank statements, here's this. I mean, everything was planned, everything was prepared, and there was no question what to do when she passed away because everything was already done. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Because she was prepared, right? Um, I've been in situations and circumstances with other friends of mine who have experienced loss of family who weren't prepared, and it's just chaos, and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to deal and process with the emotions of things. But then they're also trying to make arrangements in things. And just the benefit of being prepared in something actually helps us in the midst of chaos to figure out what we should do. Does that kind of make sense to you guys? Kind of, sort of? For those of you guys who can't imagine that, maybe uh, go this way. Um, my daughter and I were driving the other day, and I was uh, going to a place we had never been before, and... Like having directions is helpful, right? Because you know what to expect, right? If you don't know where you're going, then it's like chaos. And it's like, oh, I've never, I missed the turn. And, and you guys just kind of get flustered in the midst of it. Guys, why do I bring this up? Because the passage we're looking at today is all about being prepared. If you guys have been tracking with Cornerstone for the last little bit, um, you guys know that we've been kind of walking through Jesus in the upper room with the apostles, uh, and kind of the, the night before that, that he, he is betrayed and whatnot. And then they leave the upper room and they're heading over towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where we're, we are currently in this text. But if you guys have a Bible, grab it, open it up, because we're going to actually read this section, because I feel like the best way to get through this section is to read it. Um, but it's John 15. We're going to start in verse 18. We're just going to read through the whole thing, if that's okay. And then I'm going to start at the end where we get to this idea of being prepared. But it's, it says this. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. No. Sorry about this. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. It has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and my father. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God and they will do things because they have not known the father or me. 
But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes that you, remember, that you may remember that I told them to you. So I want to start at the end here. And I know it's not like a, like, doesn't sound like it's really good news. Guys, this is full of amazing good news here. And you're like, what? That doesn't sound like good news at all. It's like, you know, but watch, watch this. Guys, where does it end? It ends in verse, or chapter 16. Don't be discouraged. Don't be surprised. And that's, that's really what Jesus is writing about. He's, he's writing so that these, these guys that he's talking with, he says, hey, I'm telling you this stuff so that you won't be discouraged, that you won't fall away, that you won't be caught up in things. That's why he's writing. And guys, this is just, this is where he is. And we're going to come into like how this applies to us in a little bit. I'm just going to walk through kind of the big picture of what Jesus is saying here. And then we'll talk through like, okay, so how does that affect us here at Cornerstone in Simi Valley, you know, 2,000 years later? But look at this. Okay. Hey, he's writing so that they won't be discouraged. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look, look at the text and just, what's the cause of the discouragement? Why might these guys be discouraged? It's actually a question. Sorry, I, this is enough of this nonsense. Why? What's that? Yeah, they might be killed. That kind of could discourage them a little bit. Sure. Why else? Why else might they actually be discouraged here? Yeah, the world hates them. So they might fall away. They get, might get caught up in something because, man, they're under the threat of death. People might kill them, and the world's going to hate them. You guys all see that? No joke. Jesus is telling him, hey, be prepared here because this is what's going to happen. This is what's going on. Okay? Now, here's the question. Who? Who is going to do this killing or hating? Again, look at the, we're not going to walk through this linearly. I'm just going to ask you guys some questions. Who is going to be the, the ones causing this angst? Okay? Yeah, the, the world, and specifically the ones who think they're doing right. Guys, okay, look at the beginning of, of what we read in 15 verse 18. Don't be surprised if the world hates you, right? You guys all see that? Okay, really quickly. What is the world that he's talking about here? Okay, this is a great question because I think, guys, this is, now watch this. I don't know if you guys can see all the way in the back. Anybody know what this is here? Yeah, it's a big trash bag. This is not the world, but it's going to represent the world. Okay? You guys are all tracking here? Big trash bag. This is the world. Now, in the world, there's all kinds of different components. Look, you have like the Roman government, right? But this is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the Roman government, but the Roman government is definitely part of the world. You guys tracking? Okay. What else is part of the world? Look, we have the Gentile community. Is he talking about the Gentile community? No, but is the Gentile community part of the world? Yes. Okay, enough of that. What about this one? Um, what, this is the local government. You know, it's, it's, it's maybe the, um, they had Rome, and then there were local establishments of government, or maybe like the, the, temple of, uh, the, the temple cults and whatnot, the false religions of the day. Is that what he's talking about? No, but is that part of the world? Yes, because why? Guys, the world is a really big umbrella statement. It's this big trash bag, and there's a lot of parts inside of the world. But now watch. Also in here in the world 
is what he is talking about, which is the religious institution of the day. And very specifically, Jesus isn't talking about Rome. He's not talking about the temple cults. He's not talking about the Gentile community. He is talking about the world as a whole. And he says, the world is going to hate you. But specifically, he's talking about what? The religious institution of the day. How do I know that he's talking about the religious institution? Look at the text. Because what does he actually start to say? He uses phrase like, your law. Like that, if, if you look, um, if you get to 16, let's start there, because we said we're going to work backwards. In 16, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. So very Jewish reference there. And they're going to be thinking they're offering service to God. Again, religious reference. When you go back into the end of 18, or end of um, chapter 15, the idea of Jesus actually exposing them to be exposed as being violators of law. They're rejecting the Father. And so that Jesus, in his word here, in chapter 15, is exposing the Jewish community here just based on the references that he's making. And so, as big picture, the world is going to hate you, specifically the religious institution of the day. Does that make sense to you guys? It's, it's, it's both of those things. The world is big, specifically the religious institution of the day. And at this time, that's the Jewish kind of system of faith that has rejected Jesus. And subsequently, they've rejected the Father. So that's the who behind this. Why is it happening? Why are they threatening Jesus and subsequently the disciples? Why are they going to hate and to murder? We know the who, we know why they're discouraged, but what's the why behind it? Okay, now this one you guys have to go all the way back to where we've been the last couple of weeks. Okay, you have to see this in its grand, kind of the big flow here. Because if you think back to the beginning of, you know, chapter 14, and then we get into 15, as what's the flow? What's, what has Jesus actually been telling these guys? What are some of the principles? Do you guys remember? And I know this is a dangerous question because I'm asking you guys to think back like four weeks. So there's an assumption that you've been paying attention. Um, I can call out some people by name, but that's all right. I won't do that. Maybe I will. Um, guys, wh where have we been so far? What are some of the principles over the last few weeks? Abide, uh, that he's the vine. What else? Yeah, he's giving us the helper. What else? There's a couple other principles that I think are, are noteworthy. No? I can't hear you, but sure, I'll go with you. Yes. So, sorry, Bob, I don't, still don't have hearing aids. So, I saw you over there somewhere. There, all right. Um, Guys, watch this. Some of these things, Jesus starts this whole thing saying, hey, abide in me, abide in the vine. I will promise you the helper. You're gonna be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what is that empowering of the Spirit going to do? What is it going to produce? Fruit. And what is that fruit going to actually do? What's that? Produce more fruit. It's gonna do what? Yeah, give glory to God. It's actually, guys, that's a amen, yes, 
but glory to God, that it glorifies God. Let me put that in different language, but it means the exact same thing. To glorify God means to make God known, to put him on display, to reflect God. So think about this. I want you to abide in me. I'll pr I'm gonna give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, so that you can produce fruit. And as you produce this fruit, you're going to actually reflect me to the world. Are you guys tracking? And what's the result of that going to be? The world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you because you're producing fruit, because you actually are making Jesus known, because you're actually helping them see the Father. But specifically here, he's saying the Jewish community doesn't like that because you've exposed the fact that they've rejected the Father, that they've rejected Jesus. And so they're going to hate you for that. It doesn't say they're going to hate you because you're being obstinate or they're going to hate you because you're being difficult or they're going to hate you because, um, you know, you're argumentative. No, no, no. It says they're going to hate you because you're abiding in me and you're testifying to me because you're bearing fruit. Let me just, for a, just go with me for a second here. The fruit that is being born through this abiding in Christ and the empowering of the Spirit, what is some of the fruit of the Spirit that might be born here? Which I know sounds silly because you're like, didn't we already do this? But guys, think about this for a second. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, virtue, goodness, self-control, humility, all of those things, if we embody those things, that helps people to actually see Jesus and subsequently see who God is. That helps us actually reflect God to the world. Jesus is saying, hey, as you guys do this, as you abide, I'm going to provide the Holy Spirit. You're going to produce fruit. As you produce fruit, guys, you're going to testify to me. If you look at the very end of chapter 15, the last two verses there, I'm going to testify to the Father and the Spirit is going to empower you and you're going to testify to me. Testify, put on display, make known, reflect all the same kind of language. As, as you bear fruit, you will actually make Jesus known. As you make Jesus known, the world is going to hate you, specifically the religious institution of the day. This is, again, the Jewish community here. But guys, this is kind of the flow of thought where he is. You guys all tracking? And Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you this because it's going to be hard for you guys. In fact, I want you to look at something in chapter 16 there, right at the beginning. And probably what caught your eye was that you're going to be killed. What else does it say that's going to happen, though? They're going to be what? Oh, come on, look. Yeah, they're going to be put out of the synagogue. Why does that matter? What's that? Yeah, guys, the synagogue isn't just showing up to a church service which is sometimes the way we think. Guys, the synagogue was the center of the community. It was the center of like civic life. 
to be put out of the synagogue as you were put out of the community. You were ostracized entirely. You were ostracized from your family. You were ostracized from your social network, ostracized from your friend group. You were like anathema. You were outside. Guys, they, Jesus was telling him, you, you are going to face complete abandonment but don't despair because I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. And guys, you can do this. I'm telling you this so you don't get discouraged. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Guys, you can do this is what he's telling the, the disciples. And that's an amazing promise. Now, you guys are all okay with that so far? Okay, pause, fast forward 2,000 years, drop it into Simi Valley now. Okay, what in the world has just happened? Because is it talking about the church? No, he's talking about, we weren't in the upper room with them. We weren't on the walk from the upper room over to the Garden of Gethsemane. None of us are part of the synagogue and none of us are getting kicked out of the synagogue. So what in the world is going on here for us? Guys, and here's, here's the lament for me. Here's where I get a little bit bummed. Is I don't feel like I have done a good job I was talking to, you know, a couple other guys. I don't feel like a handful of us, I think if, if you were to ask us, I don't think we've done a good job of preparing the church for how difficult it is to actually do what Jesus has called us to do. We've not done a good job of, of reminding you how incredibly difficult it is to put Jesus on display. It is so hard in the midst of conflict, in the midst of chaos, to actually put Jesus on display through the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. No, when, when chaos ensues and, and the world gets disrupted, are we actually striving to put Jesus on display? I don't know that I've done a good job of preparing people to think that way. To be honest, guys, if you think about the fruit of the spirit, the, the opposite of that is kind of the, the deeds of the flesh and going, in some ways, it's, it's actually really easy to respond in a similar way to the world, you know, um, because that's kind of the way we're hardwired. You know, and so it's, it's easy to respond in frustration or in anger or, or you know, enjoy a, a, a takedown of somebody. Those things are easy but, but what does it look like to actually go, no, 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 I need to radically and boldly submit myself to Jesus and submit myself to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can, can renew my mind and I can think differently and I can put Jesus on display through loving people in the midst of hardship and I can experience joy in the midst of chaos and, and my pursuit is one of peace. And, and that I'm actually driven by kindness and that I actually esteem self-control as a virtue. And guys, I, and in so doing, guys, that, that's hard. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, guys, not only is it hard to do what Jesus has called us to do, it's impossible to do what Jesus has called us to do. It's impossible to do what Jesus has called us to do. And I don't think I've done a good job of sharing the impossibility of the task with you.
But guys, here's why it is possible. It's impossible for me to do. I am absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit to do this because it's the Holy Spirit empowering me as I abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers me to actually bear this fruit. And guys, here's the thing that's absolutely amazing about this is as we are abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to bear this fruit, you will absolutely fail. I will absolutely fail. And then there's the amazing good news of Jesus' redemptive work and then the subsequent empowering of the Spirit to continue on. I have not done a good job of sharing how difficult that is with you guys. And so I look at what Jesus did with the disciples and I go, man, that dude was smart. Because he prepared the disciples for the difficulty of the task. And I look and I go, man, guys, what Jesus has called us to is amazing. Because it's what God wanted in the beginning. He wants, he wants himself to be known and put on display. And we have a unique and amazing opportunity to do that. And I guess we just have to ask ourselves the question and going, man, is what we are doing, are we passionate about making Jesus known? And are we passionate about putting Jesus on display? If so, then boldly, passionately submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and actually respond in, in these virtuous things of the fruit of the Spirit and going, man, I want to I affirm and celebrate, you know, when I see, you know, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, humility. And these things are the things that are like, oh, yes. Or on the other side, we look and we go, man, when we see these manifestations of people striving to put Jesus on display and, and, and that causes us angst. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this where you see somebody living out an aspect of humility or self-control and there's a degree of like cynicism towards them. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that where you go, man, they're, they're actually loving other people well and that causes me to get frustrated with them. Like, whoa, that's, that's like me. I need to evaluate and go, whoa, whoa, time out. Um, you know, or people who have like an incredible self-control, I get judgy, you know, and it's like, whoa, time out. But going, guys, as we're here, I just think it's an amazing thing to consider being prepared for the task at hand. Jesus has invited us to put him on display. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. We will struggle, we will fail, but guys, that is just a good reminder of our desperation for the redemptive work of Jesus. We have been empowered by the Spirit to continue on in spite of our failure, strive to actually put Jesus on display through cultivating and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, and not being surprised with the difficulty of the task. As it might cost us tremendously to do this, and that's okay. Because circumstances cannot define how you put Jesus on display. They're just different opportunities for, to put Jesus on display. And so I would just invite us to passionately consider how we might put Jesus on display, how we might cultivate these fruits of the Spirit so that the people around us might look at our lives and see Jesus, knowing full well that like the apostles, that might cause different aspects of the world to hate us but not because we're being obstinate, because we're passionately loving Jesus and we're loving others. And that exposes them. And that's okay, but it's hard.
But there's other things that we can do to actually celebrate Jesus and put him on display. We're going to actually, one of the things that we can do besides cultivating and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, we also celebrate like the Lord's Supper together because that's a way to actually testify to who Jesus is and actually try to put Jesus on display through corporately and, you know, through a sense of unity cultivating, you know, this, this oneness where we're actually putting on Jesus on display here. So I think Todd's going to come up at some point here and kind of walk us through the Lord's Supper. Um, but in the meantime, guys, can we just take a second and just pray? Just because this is, yeah, Jesus, thanks for being a God who loves us. God, in the midst of the hardship of, um, of life, God, may we, may we be ones who actually are prepared because we know what you've called us to. Guys, we see the work that you've, you're doing in the world. We have eyes to see how you've invited us in to join you in it. God, that we would value the fruit of the Spirit above anything because we know that that is a way that you're put on display in this world. God, as we celebrate the, the, the Lord's table here, God, I pray that this would be something that actually is a celebration of unity. God, a celebration of putting you on display and remembering the work that you've done. And God, I pray that none of us would be foolish and think that we can manifest the, the fruit of the Spirit or put you on display on our own. But we are absolutely in desperate need of you and the work you're doing and the empowering of, of the Holy Spirit to do this. So God, thanks in your name. Amen.